I always wanted to be in the business. And it was interesting because in 1987, coming out of a great bull market run, everyone was making money. It was really hard to get into. The people around us were having, you know, oh shit moments like, oh. So it was a very interesting way to get acclimated to this industry. These are the people that need to learn early on how this industry works, what you should do, how you should invest. And that's what we're trying to help a lot of people do for sure. They all saw the Wolf of Wall Street and they're like, dad, you got to see the Wolf of Wall Street. And I'm like, dad, I live the Wolf of Wall Street. I mean, we were there. Hello, welcome back to the Raz Report. I'm excited to have on John Nowicki, owner, founder of LCM Capital Management. Welcome to the Raz Report, John. Jason, thank you very much. Happy to be here. Look forward to the today. Yes, we're looking forward to having you. Um, and listen, we have casual conversations from people who are in the markets to entrepreneurs to analysts like Kathy Wood, it, ru it runs the gamut, to Mark Cuban. And like the reason I like to interview all types of people and what you guys do is because every day all of us go in to the office or go somewhere or stay home and, you know, these days, and we, we do it, we do an occupation. We either help people manage money, grow, create a product. Now, from what I understand is you help people manage money. That is correct. Okay. How we long... Have, we Okay, so how long have you been doing that for? Uh, since 1987, Jason. That's when I was first. Whoa, licensed. you started at a weird time, sir. A month right before the crash. But I like to tell everyone we had no clients invested in the market. And that's only because I didn't have any at the time. So it's <laughs> that, was good. Good. <laughs> that was good. That was good. You were, you were you were extra erudite or prescient with your. Yes, there you go. Um, so when you got into the markets in 87, Prior to that, John, I guess, will you just tell us a little bit of your background before you even like got into the markets in 87, just a little bit, whatever you think could be helpful to the audience? Sure, sure. So you mentioned Mark Cuban. I am also an IU grad. Oh, nice. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, and that's where I met my lovely wife, actually, of 37 years. But um, I always wanted to be in the business. And it was interesting because in 1987, coming out of a great bull market run, everyone was making money. It was really hard to get into. So I went, interviewed at the bigger houses. No one was hiring. Ended up at a small little place that would let me get my license. Uh, and that's how I really started. So I literally, this is the only business I have known my entire working career. Wow. Okay. So you got in early. You in 87 was probably not the best time. So what I actually wondered during that crash time and the markets being down, were there days you're like, um, on this podcast, you can swear, but I'll just go, were there days like, what the F am I doing in this industry? Like, I just can't imagine because in 87, I was nine years old. So like, <laughs> what was it? What was it like for you? And like, you can, if you can circle you know, back to that. Sure. Absolutely. It was interesting because the place I was at had one Quotron machine. Yes, like, I know what those back, are. back in the day. Uh, you had to keep hitting enter to get an update, refresh screen. And there were 10 of us sitting in front of this machine watching. And again, as I mentioned, having no clients involved, this was kind of an awesome experience, except that the people around us were having, you know, oh shit moments like, oh. So it was a very interesting way to get acclimated 
to this industry. But the timing of it worked out pretty well, right? Because the market pretty much was wiped out, for lack of a better word, in a very short period of time. So for someone as a newbie as myself to come in here and start um, you know, prospecting and going after clients, it was very easy to say to them, you know, hey, I had nobody invested in the market because obviously, as I mentioned before, it didn't have any clients in it. So right. it was a good time to start. So it was a very interesting time for sure, to say the least, but one that I will obviously never forget. Well, you know, what's really interesting you say that. So I got there's a community banking started here in Michigan in Birmingham, Michigan, and they're raising money. And the point that they're making is that they're in better position than these other banks because they don't have these legacy loans that are at lower rates than what they're at today. And it's actually a very good point. So when you started in 87, you didn't have people that blew out their whole account. And sure. which is very interesting. So yep. given given that background, 87 year around for then you start growing, then you you come to this era of like 98, the dot com era. Yep. Tell me tell me what it was like then, okay? Yeah. Good, it, the bad, absolutely. So so it was interesting. So, you know, my partner and I, Gary Wozni, we, we kind of uh continued to grow our business. And like a lot of people back in that day, um, you know, we, we were at different firms uh, and we ran some different operations, start opened an office here in Chicago. Uh, so we kind of kept moving up scale, bigger and bigger as firms. But what we realized, Jason, was at the end of the day, and, and look at, I mean, you know, you, you're not, I, I, my industry, I'm a total skeptic on, right? I mean, analysts, strategists. I mean, all of these people, in my opinion, are worthless. They know nothing more than, than you or I. Um, and all you have to do is look at the industry today to see companies downgrading or upgrading companies uh, and, you know, removing them from their buy list after they've dropped 40%. So no one knows what happens. But I, being naive and growing a business, we kept listening to these people thinking, oh, this is great, this is great. So finally, in, in 1998, my partner and I said, look, it, this is what we got to do. If we're going to do this right, let's start a investment advisory firm. So we were actually went to a company that was primarily doing the raising money for the dot-com boom. Right. This is when everyone was throwing money at companies and all these great ideas. And they never had an investment advisory component to it. And the individual that owned the company said to himself, look, if people are signing on the bottom line and they're they're signing off and saying, here's one hundred thousand dollars. I don't care if I lose it. It means nothing to me. He went after the sticky money. So the sticky money was us. Right. So that's the 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 the, the more conservative based you know, Microsoft's of the world, if you will, you know, stocks and bonds. So we started doing that and we grew from zero to $40 million in six months. Then what happened is a company came in to buy the company uh, and we looked around and what this company wanted to do was blow up our entire, mo entire model of what we were about and what we wanted to do. And so my partner looked at each other. We didn't own any of this company, so we had no say in it. So we looked at each other and said, that's it, we're done. The only way we're going to do this is if we do it ourselves and we start from zero. And so it's known, you know, we went cold turkey. So we went from transaction orientated business to fee based business in 2000. After, again, the market blew up and we're sitting wondering from these analysts, well, wait a minute, you just told us Yahoo was worth more money than, than Disney and we should be buying it. And now you're telling me, oh, that was wrong. Let's go on to the next one. Well, it's easy for them to say because they don't have to talk to a client to say, uh, you know, Mrs. Smith, sorry, your $50,000 is worth five today. 
Um, and so my partner and I said, look, the only way we're going to do this and do it right is if we start our own company. And that's exactly what we did. And that, so what year was that when you started? That was 2000. That was wow. in two- you have, you have interesting to starting times, 2087. Yeah. <laughs> um, I can okay. assure I'm starting no more after. <laughs> yes. Okay. So, so now are you been in that business now since 2000, the one you're in now? Yep. LCM Capital Management, my partner and I started it and founded it. And what it stands for is low cost management, not Larry, Curly and Mo. Uh, and the, reality- yeah, well, that's, yeah, that's when you LCM, I was like, you know, Yes, yeah. no Shemp. No, Shemp's not involved into this. Uh, so, yeah, so that's what we did. And, and we've been doing it ever since. And, and as I mentioned, uh, you know, it, we went cold turkey and, and I've got four kids. Uh, we have four children. And go, making that decision was, was brutal from a financial perspective, uh, because literally, we know we, I have that first deposit slip that we had at LCM Capital Management, and it was $1,085. That's what we deposited. So I had a house, took out a second mortgage, have four young kids. My wife is going to school uh, to get her MBA. Uh, and doing it this way, we knew was the right thing to do, but financial strain. So there's a couple of things about me. So, and I, I tell people this story, Jason, and I, I may cry, which I apologize if, if I do, but I remember going to our bank for a third line of credit. And my banker told me, Johnny, there's nothing left. I can't do it. Um, And I will never forget that day. The second thing was we were up in Michigan at a friend's cottage and I went to buy a squirt gun for their friend, for our friend's son, whose birthday it was. And his squirt gun was $19 and 99 cents. And I went with a credit card at Walmart and it didn't go through. I tried it again and I didn't go through. And I told the lady, just try it again, if you will. So the line starts building up behind me and I'm starting to panic and I get the credit card company on the phone and they say, we haven't received a payment from you in over a month. Your credit card's overextended. And the first thing I thought of Jason was, holy shit, do I have cash to get gas to get my family back home? I will never, ever forget those two experiences. And, but, but I knew that if we didn't, if we wouldn't have gone fee-based, we would have been, it would have been very easy to say, oh, let's make a couple transactions, do some revenue and, and take the edge off. That's not the right thing to do. So we did it this way. And I'm happy to say that we survived and have come out on the other side. You know, we've got $400 million worth of, of, of client assets. Uh, my partner and I, we like to tell people we're two hardworking Polacks. We don't come from, you know, a, a financial background that our parents have helped us. What they've grained in us is work hard and work hard. And that's what we do. Uh, so that brings us up to today. Wait, so let's go back to a couple of things. So you, yeah. you're at the Walmart, the credit cards bounce, you, your cash, you don't have, you don't know if you can get home. You go to your friend's house. Don't you do you, do you end up getting the squirt gun? No, I couldn't okay. get it. And then. You come to you, do you tell your wife what happened? Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And was that hard for you to tell your wife because you feel like you're not like living up to whatever? Absolutely. There's there's no question about it. And God love my wife. Always the optimistic. You know, we're going to be fine. It's going to be fine. I'll go back to work. I'll drop out of school. I'll do whatever I do, whatever it takes. So, you know, it's always good to have a good partner. I apologize for getting emotional, but no, it's, I will it's... never, ever forget it. Uh, a bad feeling. And, and, you know, but the great thing about that experience, though, Jason, is when we're sitting down with people and helping them, 
I can relate to people's financial situation, right? I have been there, you so been, I you, know, you right? Been in the, you've been in their shoes. Absolutely. It's not just about getting, and that's what it's about. It's, I mean, to me, if you're going to use a financial advisor or, you know, a firm, talking to people that can resonate and relate to you, because what, what I think, and where I was going with my questions about like year 2000 stuff, I think at some points in life here, we're always like, you know, the neighbor next door, I want to make more money than them. I want to make more money than them. But then what happens is when the market declines and you're now you don't want to lose as much, you want to save it. And then at the end of the day, you want to be able to sleep at night. And it doesn't mean that you need to be rich and, you know, never throw out money. But what it does mean is that you can sleep at night. So, yeah. what, and so given your, I mean, was part of it before you started your business in 2000, well, you had four kids. So you, that, that, that's expensive. Yeah. I was wondering if you get like three in college at one time too. again, you know, three at one time, and I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. Again, bringing it back to real life, you know, client discussions, I've been there. I mean, yep. it was a lot of money. And so right. I'm not, yeah. we're not calling our clients from my yacht, right? Saying, here's what you should do, you know? Right, uh, right. <laughs> so, so will you describe what a fee-based advisor is? Like you switched to fee versus you could you could have just taken some quick, taken some quick money and got some commissions. Yeah. Can you describe what that means? I know it's pretty basic for you. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So, I mean, it literally in, in its most basic sense is we charge a fee, an annual management fee on the amount of assets that, that we manage. So, you know, that, that it, it's really it. I mean, and the difference with us too is that we, our industry loves to nickel and dime people to death, Jason. So we don't charge for transaction costs. I don't want to start throwing out words of, you know, that, that, our, that our industry likes to do. But but you pay us a fee and when we're buying and selling for you, you don't get an additional bill for $10 or $5 or $8 for that transaction. Uh, you just get a, a, you know, a monthly bill from us that's deducted from your account. And that is what a fee-based account is. And, and, you know, and the great thing about it is, it, from my perspective, is you know, I mean, we've we've had clients since 2000, right? They've owned Apple, they've owned Microsoft since these times. The amount of embedded gains are massive, and I can assure you, if you were in a transaction orientated business, you'd be a little tempted to say, "Yeah, let's let's get out of this, you know, and let's make this and buy this and sell this." Because look at I did back in the day. You know, it's funny. Th our three oldest are sons, uh, and they. Uh, they all saw the Wolf of Wall Street. And I don't know if you if you saw that movie and they're like, Dad, you got to see the Wolf of Wall Street. And I'm like, Dad, I live the Wolf of Wall Street. I mean, we were there. I was in it. It was exactly our lifestyle. Uh, it was a lot of fun. It was crazy. We unbelievable, frightening stories. Uh, but at the uh, at the end of the day, fee base is completely different than that. And it's the right way to do it, too. So for sure. Got, got it. Got it. So, so that, so by the way, like, I, is that how it should have always been like doing it structure like that? Like, is that, you, you know, um, you know what I mean? Like, is that because your interests are aligned, right? And, and, and like, uh, it, it's, you know, it's one thing because if you're not, if you're not that way, then when you give me advice to go buy um, a municipal, what are you making on the back end, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And, 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 and that's, it's a great point because, you know, there are a lot of people in my industry are duly licensed, right? They've got both a brokerage license and advisory license. I think that's the largest conflict of interest uh, that, that, that can possibly exist because what, what, when are you wearing what hat and why are you looking after me, you know, uh, now, or you're not looking after me. Yep. So 
yeah, I, I, I completely, completely agree with you. The, the reason why that, you know, it never was, our industry really wasn't that way is because there's no money involved in it. Right. I mean, back in the got day, it, right. It, okay. I mean, you could charge two or 3% on a transaction in and a transaction out. Right. So what, one of the great things about technology is it kind of started squeezing the margins, so to speak. And look at my industry is built on, on generating fees and revenues. And there's a lot of money, which is why they keep creating all these products and doing all of these things, you know, for the betterment of the investors, but it's not the betterment of the investors. It's for the betterment of the firm. Um, you know, it's the firm first. And if the client should make money later, uh, then that's great. But, you know, you mentioned the banks in, in Birmingham. I mean, Silicon Valley Bank. I mean, you start looking at this stuff. I mean, Mark Cuban, perfect example, right? He had a ton of money in that bank. He's protected. Mark Cuban's a smart guy. He knows the CIPIC insurance limits. What the hell is he doing with more than eight, $5 million in the bank? He's going to get taken care of. But my assets are going to be frozen because I have 300000 I mean, it's just, it's, again, our we created our company for everybody but our, our, our clientele, I mean, look, we have, client, we have our wealthiest clients, the $200 million net worth client. Our largest clients, a $45 million account. But we have kids that are my daughters, my you know, friends that are $1,000. These are the people that need to learn early on how this industry works, what you should do, how you should invest, what you should control, what you can control. And that's what we're trying to help a lot of people do for sure. Got it. And the ones that are the small accounts, do you just do you do like a robo type thing or how? Yeah. Uh, okay. No, no. Great. Great question. We, we use ETFs. Right. So exchange traded funds. So we hate mutual funds, Jason. We in 1998, we wrote an article called The Great American Ripoff, and it's still applicable today. We just adjust and update the numbers accordingly because there are fees on top of fees, right? I mean, my industry, what they love to do is charge a fee, right? They charge 1% management fee, a fee-based account, and then they invest their clients' money in mutual funds. Well, those funds have fees and then mm -hmm. that expense ratio. And then on, on top of that, those mutual funds have trading costs, right? And they have other you know, tax ramifications. So those fees are on top of fees. And these funds now are owning mutual funds inside of those funds, which are just more funds and more fees, right? So when people invest, they think they're paying 1% a year. And we love to ask the question, you know, what do you, what is it, what does it cost you to have your money run? And everyone says 1%. And then we get their statements and we run through their account and say, well, you have 45 mutual funds here and the average one has at least a 1% expense ratio. So now you're minimally at two. So it's not costing you one, it's costing you two, right? So, so ETFs have an expense ratio for sure, but they're low, right? I mean, there's six basis points, eight basis points. So, so the great thing about the ETFs is it allows for instant diversification. So we can buy the indexes, which we do for everybody. Whether you have $10 million with us or a thousand, you own the same ETFs, right? Um, and so the great thing about that is it gives you instant diversification for the lower end client and it gives you liquidity. You can buy and sell it if you need it intraday. Where a mutual fund, right? You've got to put an order in, you got to wait to the end of the day to buy it, or you got to wait to the end of the day to sell it. So again, another reason why we just hate funds and, and use ETFs. And you've got, for our perspective, you got to have at least $100,000 for us to start buying individual stocks because we really can't, to your point earlier about diversification, we want to be able to have them diversified. But we will, we're an asset allocator, right? So we're all stock to bond for everybody. 
And even if you have $10,000 with us, Jason, you're going to own an individual bond or a CD. We're not going to buy a bond fund because, again, we hate these things, the leverage that's involved in these things. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Yeah. Why are you not going to buy a bond fund? Well, just for that reason, that you know, you, you've, got a, you've got no maturity, right? A bond fund does never, never matures. Uh, you've got leverage that can be used inside of those bond funds as well. You've got the tax ramifications. You have the additional cost ramifications. So as a test, as a perfect test, even in the ETF world, I bought for myself, and I'm assuming if, if we need to change this, we, we can change this, the short-term ETF. Uh, and and uh, SP, uh, not SPY, I'm trying to remember the, uh, the symbol of it. Shoot, I wish I remember the symbol. But I, but I did it, uh, the one, the short-term treasury, I did it for myself as a test to see what's going to happen. I'm 10 months into it, and this thing is still paying me 2%, and yet short-term treasuries are five, right? That's 300 basis point difference. So if we're buying a CD for a client, we're buying it and locking it in a rate of return of X percent. You're not getting that fluctuation. If rates go up, that bond fund is going to get smoked as they did in 2022, right? Yes, the bonds that we own and own for our clients, they went down. But guess what? They're going to go back to par and mature, right? That bond yep, fund yep, does. Yep. So I, I asked because when I... Benzinga, we did a private equity transaction in 2021 where we sold a big piece of the company and I got, had some cash and it was when times when interest rates were 0%. And I have this firm, you know, it's one of those big banks. And I said, can I just get like 0.5% or something? 0.5, you know, not 1%, not 2%. Not like, you know, they're paying five. So they, they're like this bond fund gives 0.72. Okay. Home run. This was money I didn't want to risk. I was just like, it was a decent amount of cash and well, yeah, that thing went literally straight down. Like I was like shocked by it. Cause I was, I was shocked and it's still down now it's because of the yield. And so, yeah, now I have T bills and municipals and all that, but that bond fund, I would never like what you said just now. And that's why I ring. I would never invest in a bond fund ever again. I still can't believe they put in this bond fund because the, the, the bonds don't mature. I'm stuck in it. I'm down. The numbers are large and are relatively large, I guess. And um, and yeah, that's okay. I don't know why they put me in a bond fund. So why do they even? So then answer this question: Why do they create these bond funds? Like what? Like what's the? Give me the give me the the opposite side. Like why should Joe Blow invest in a bond fund, or should they not? They, they they should not. I mean, you know, oh. look at why why does Vegas keep building bigger hotels? Right. Not okay. like money's taken. I mean, all these products. Jason are, are built for the, the house. The house is always going to win and always going to take their money first, right? But the sale to the, I mean, 99.99% of investors are financially illiterate. I, we tell everyone this, right? I mean, it's no one's ever taught this and it should be a prerequisite for college. In my opinion, you can't graduate without getting investing 101. Everyone knows about compounding and, and things of that, but no one has ever taught this stuff. Now I, I'm lucky that having done this my whole life. So our, my kids are well, well versed in the world of finance and, and what it needs to happen. Uh, but again, at the end of the day, 
these things are created to be sold. I mean, to sold to clients. I mean, you look at what happened in the gold boom, right? I don't know if your wife, I know my wife was invited to all these gold parties. Bring your gold. We'll give you money for it. Yeah. My numbers are going to be off. But at the time, there was 24 gold funds. By the end of the that quarter, there were 345 gold funds, right? Why? Everyone's buying gold. Get a gold fund out the door. Get it into your clients so we can make money. Well, what happened to gold? Whoop! And it's like, oh, shit, that didn't work. So let's create something else. I mean, this is what my industry does. And I can say this because I've been in it since 1987. And so I see it and we continue to see it and it doesn't stop. But it's because people are uneducated and they don't know what to ask. Right. Every every industry hates an educated consumer. Right. Because then you start asking questions. My industry, whoo, you know, when we're prospecting people, we go back to your person, ask them the following questions, see what the answer is. We literally got a response from somebody who said, I still haven't heard the answer to the question. I mean, he was going to get back to me, she said. What do you mean? It's, it's, that's not the answer. It's it's an unbelievable industry. <laughs> okay, how, okay, now we're going to switch. How often do you communicate to clients? Is it just like random? Is it is there a set standard or is it like some people don't want to hear from you unless they want to hear from you? Yeah, I mean, that, that's the, so 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 we, as I mentioned, we're, we're, we're asset allocators, right? So we manage our clients money to their risk tolerance. And you reference this sleeping at night, right? If you're lying awake in bed and you're worried about losing money, you're taking too much risk. So in, in, in 2008, in 2022, our clients aren't calling us. The only person that calls me is my father-in-law, right? It's like, John, did you see what happened today? I'm like, Papa, what happened today? He's like, oh my God, who's watching my money? I'm like, I know what happened today, Papa, but no one, I mean, it doesn't matter what happened today, right? I mean, the markets go up over time. And so if you're allocated and you're invested to your risk tolerance, you're not worried at all about how much money you may or may not be losing. So, so every quarter, you know, we send out a, a report for clients and we give them a snapshot. We have some clients, Jason, that want to talk to us pretty regularly. When I say that, it's every month. And we have clients that don't want to talk to us at all. They're like, I watch. I read what you send to me. I know how I'm allocated. I know what I'm invested in. I know what I'm paying. Mm -hmm. I'm good. So it's, it's, I mean, it's a godsend, right? Because honestly, from our perspective, I don't want to be holding everyone's hand but what we pride ourselves in doing is educating them, explaining to them what we do. And in the beginning, we're having a lot of conversations with clients. And then once they understand what's going on and what we own, they, they get it. And it's awesome. No. And that makes your life easier. So, that, oh, so yeah. let's say someone has a million dollars, okay? Yep. And they a million dollars, well, a million dollars, let's say it's a million dollars cash, but they don't have it invested or anything. How do you do you do that like portfolio strategy of where like 60, 40 bonds, stocks, or what would you broadly suggest? Okay, you probably need another age. Let's say they're 30 or no, 45, 45. Yep. No, well, I'm glad you asked the age because we're agnostic to age, right? We've got an 80-year-old client who drives a motorcycle. This guy wants to go 100 miles an hour and he's aggressive. You know, our only joke is just let me know when you're out on the road so I'm not on the road. But he yeah, wants to go 100 miles an hour, right? Tell, tell him to chill. Exactly. You know? But yeah. conversely, we have children of clients who are 25, and the book says, be really aggressive. These are the most conservative kids I've ever met, and they don't want to lose any money. So who am I to say, oh, don't worry about it, right? Just take it easy. Don't watch. 
baloney. They're going to watch because they're conservative. So, so that's where the risk tolerance comes in. So we figure out how much, you know, we work with a lot of doctor groups and we work with a lot of surgery centers and I love them as clients uh, because of the fact that, you know, our analogy for the surgery centers is everyone comes out of surgery and you don't give them the same amount of morphine or painkillers, right? Everyone's got a different tolerance of pain, no different in investing. Tell us what your tolerance of pain is. And we're going to manage that money to that pain. So this person with a million bucks comes in and says, you know, I, I don't want to, I, I want no pain. Then you're going to be conservative and, or I want a little bit of pain. Then you're going to be moderate conservative. And for us, that's going to be 30 or 40% equities and 60, 70% fixed income. And it's all going to be individual stocks and it's all going to be individual bonds because at the end of the day, fees, inflation, and in taxes, those three things affect every investment in the world. And the only one that's uncontrollable is inflation, is everyone's experience. Fees, you got to pay them, right? If anyone tells you they're free, run for the hills. Uh, so keep that low and know what it is. And taxes, you have to pay them. But guess what? If you can control them, something you can't do in a mutual fund, and if you can defer them, you can't do that in a mutual fund, and put those two savings, fees and taxes, back into your account, over 20, 30, 40 years, Jason, it is a gobs of money that you never knew existed because the house is keeping it. And that's what we focus on. And and and, and, and seriously, I mean, it's 100 or 200 basis points a year. And a million dollars at 5% a year for 30 years, you're talking millions of dollars for doing nothing, right? But controlling their taxes and cutting their fees. Just by delay, okay. And then, yeah, and that's crazy. And then you said yeah, one of your biggest clients is 40, 45 million. Yep. Do you suggest different things for them? Like, is it like buy-in preferreds or this? Like, how do you- No, 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 and not at all. Everybody is the same. I mean, everyone owns Microsoft. Everyone owns, you know, uh, Apple. I mean, no, we, we treat, that person has ETFs, right? They've got the same ETFs that everyone else has. We, we treat nobody different. The only way we treat people differently is a from a risk perspective, and then b if you know from a cash flow perspective. Because look, it clearly there are people who are living on these investments or off of these investments, and they only want tax free income, right, or something of that nature. So, so there obviously is some tweaking that gets involved. But at the end of the day, that person just owns more Microsoft than the person with a half a million dollars. Got it. Okay, so it might be tweaking percentage, but they're going to own more Microsoft. Now, if you have a person that comes to you and says, "Okay, listen, I, like." I, uh, John, you know, I, I run a really sleep at night. I don't want to, if the market goes down 10%, I don't want to give a shit. Do you, do you, I guess my question is, do you have anyone that comes to you and says, John, I, I, I just don't want to be exposed to much, uh, things. So like, we're like much yeah. risk. So would you do like a 90% uh, like non, you know, like, do you ever do that? Well, are we hundred percent? I mean, we, we don't have, we don't have a hundred percent equity. There's not anybody that's a hundred percent equity. So, you know, it's 90, 10 at the highest on that side. On the other side, we have clients that are hundred percent fixed income. Absolutely. Oh, really? Okay. So you do. Yep. So, so John, like you've been in this industry for a long time. So like LC capital, LCM capital management started, low cost management started in 2000. How has the industry changed the biggest from like 2008 to now like what what has changed in your industry with clients with you know i know you mentioned automation reduced fees and that was amazing because when i sold that 
I sold Amazon at 2001 for like $7, but there was, it was actually $10, but there was $2 a share of commissions. Uh, Payne Weber, that's what it was. I, At least you don't I, have I, for that, right? <laughs> oh, I, I have it on my phone because if I ever get cocky about the market, I just look at that because I sold it for, I think, $2,800, $2,100, and I think it'd be like worth like $1.3 million. Yeah, so literally. I have that on my phone. That was, By the way, the reason I sold it, it wasn't even like, did I not believe in them or not? It was the only stock that I had left that had value. Like I had on sale, it was called, I had rare, medium, art, triple, uh, my grandma gave me some like money and I, yeah, I was like doing amazing for a minute. And then it went right. went up, and then it, I just wrote it down. And the financial advisor said, "Oh, it's it's a margin call. You just you just pay, and you just keep." Yeah. And the only thing I had value at Amazon, and yeah. so like it would have been great if the guy if I had never called him, or if I never did the mar- you know, if I would have just got rid of everything else, kept the Amazon, that would be one million, and that I would have made way more than I lost because it was it's crazy the story. But anyways, I guess my question to you is like, yeah, what's changed two thousand eight? Uh, you know. No. Yeah. Well, I, I, for sure, as you mentioned, you know, and I, and I alluded to fees, right? I mean, and I, I will back up a second because that's one thing that 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 my partner and I said to be in the beginning. I mean, we were so far ahead of the curve in terms of fees and keeping them low, and and so that fee compression has started and 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 continues. And so we've never had discussions with clients about fees, and we never want to have discussion with. I mean, could we be charging more? Yeah, a lot more. And it's interesting because, you know, our industry is consolidating uh, a lot of obviously it's a lot easier to buy than build. Right. So we talk to a firm and this firm's like, we love your business model, but your fees are too low. you got to raise them. And you'd be surprised that people will not react negatively to that or like, huh, you have no idea who our clients are then. Because we go to our clients and say, hey, we're going to bump your fee up by 30 percent. You'll be fine. No way. Bullshit. So so I, so that's one thing that's changed for sure. Um Obviously, the, you know, the, and, and again, bringing it back to fees, right? I mean, the mutual fund industry, the, the, the average expense ratio is dropping. Well, why that is, is because every, every fund family now has index funds. So they still have the 150 expense ratio, right? 1.5, but now they've got the, the, uh, the index fund that's at 10 basis points. So their average now is 80 basis points, right? So so that's one of the things that definitely has changed is people have realized that indexing works and more and more people are going in that direction uh, and they are 100% correct. Uh, people are realizing that analysts and strategists don't know what they're talking about. So that's continuing to uh, to, uh, to, to obviously enlighten people and an education standpoint. I think people are getting more educated and I'm not just using, you know, you guys as, as an example of, of the power of the internet and what you can help people with, because look at, there's a lot of garbage out there too, that will clog people's brains and they won't get an honest, real opinion on what's going on. But there is definitely much more information out there and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but I will say that, you know, it, it can't be detrimental. I mean, you you mentioned uh, about, you know, it, it, it made me think of my son, my youngest son, because I'm actually writing an article for for another publication because I responded to this guy who said, hey, how do you help young investors? So one of the things that we let all I, I let all of our children do and, and even uh, young investors is they want to play, let them play. So my boys played in this meme stuff, right? And they played in the Bitcoin and I just kept my mouth shut. And my youngest son literally sent me a message two weeks ago 
and said, Dad, you were right. What kind of moron doesn't make money over six years? So he learned. And thankfully, he learned now right at 28 as opposed to 58. But your but your point is he doesn't make money over six years because like if you would have bought stuff conservative assets whatever you normally versus what he was going for was the quick hit yep. which a lot of us I, by the way I was an idiot on something as well recently yeah. oh and I'm still an idiot with me I mean right. you know I I'll, I mean literally I'll throw a thousand dollars and so I'm like sure I'll play this it's it's four cents I I wish I only threw a thousand dollars I, I I bought USDC. I bought you. I bought USDC Voyager, which was a stable coin, which I thought was one to one. So they kept talking about it was giving a nine percent yield. I should have realized when it's that high, it's too right. good to be true. Yep. So now when now if like T bills are like five percent, and someone says I can get you a twelve percent, if you if you say to me, John, I can get you twelve percent guaranteed, no risk, like one percent, I just don't believe it. Amen. Like I, I don't believe it now because I was. I mean, and to your son's point, like to your point, that is the best education because I thought I was smarter than everyone else. I on this USDC and I listened to it and it's crypto and it's oh, my God. I was I mean, I was on the Voyager credit committee, the chair like I had much. Yeah, it was bad. Yeah. But but that's how they, that's how people learn. Absolutely. So it seems it seems like you're very approachable, you know, with people. You know, in, in investments and getting, you know, talking to clients and answering questions, I guess is, is the hardest thing in your industry or you, is it like finding the new clients? Is it letting people know that John Nowicki exists of LCM Capital Management? Absolutely. Is that the hardest thing? To, I mean, I know you can get, I know you get referrals. I, yep. I understand that. But someone told me once when I was building Benzinga, they said, um, you know, Jason, if you just depend on word of mouth, you know, I need to like, we need a lot of people, you know what I mean? Yeah. For maybe your industry, word of mouth is actually probably, but you know, so like, yeah, how, how, because I just think it's hard, you know, with all these people promising, like your son's thing, you know, yep. the memes, get rich, get, I mean, I can tell you this GameStop, see, we, Benzinga does the who, what, where, why, and we like say it like it is. And we have this thing, Benzinga Pro, and I started it because I thought it was unfair that Wall Street got news faster than Main Street. So we built this thing called Benzinga Pro. It's yep. like a Bloomberg competitor. Yep. And, and I just thought it was unfair. Your thing is you're competing with, you know, guys who can say anything they want, Absolutely. right? And and it seems like you're pretty much like honest Joe's thus far with the questions. I mean, you you said the bond funds and my and my ears just perked up, so I can't <laughs> believe I did that. I'm in this. I'm still in it, by the way. Yeah, I sold like ten percent. So yeah, so I guess is that the hardest thing well, for you right now with the new client? No, no question about it, right. We we say we are a swim uh, a salmon swimming upstream. Because we are definitely fighting Wall Street the whole way. And to your point, the hardest thing is for sure. I mean, you know, because we our clients come from other firms and and the problem is what what Wall Street loves to do is sell performance. Right. And the reality of it is there isn't any over time. I mean, it's it's a factual. I mean, Warren Buffett. Right. He dies. Where where is all do you know where is all his money going? Right. When he said index funds. Right. The the Wizard of Wall Street or whatever the heck they call him, the Oracle of Omaha. That's where his money's going. Jack Bogle. I got a letter from Jack Bogle. I wrote an article back in 98. He responded to it. He I got a call from his office. His secretary's on the phone. She said, uh, Mr. Nowicki, I got Mr. Bogle on the phone for you. And, I, and you said I could swear. So I'm like, I'm like, which one of my friends is fucking with me? I'm like, sure. Put yep. Jack through. And he goes, John, I go, Mr. Bogle. And he said, hey, I just wanted to thank you for mentioning me in your article. I'm writing another book. I just thought I'd give you a call. Happy to hear, 
you know, people are thinking the same way. He sent me a letter that I still have to this day in 1998. Why I mention him is right. Always being interviewed, always talking to people. And everyone kept answering, what do you, what's an investor to do today, Jack? It was the same thing. Stay diversified, buy the index, don't time the market, don't trade the market, control your fees. When this man passed away, everyone raved about him. But I am sure, Jason, as soon as they walked out of that funeral home, they were high-fiving each other, saying, thank God he's no longer out there telling people, cut your fees, diversify, buy the index, because there's no money in it. Right. And the yachting habits of our industry depend on all of these products being created. So it is the hardest thing for us to do, because even when we sit down with prospective clients and do retirement planning, we run to your point about being conservative. I mean, we run it at a four percent rate of return. Right. Let's see what your retirement looks like at four percent. We could go out there today and get that. So we're not worried about that. But at the end of the day, the reality of it is, is that we can for sure get that for them. I mean, without taking risk. And so if we look at that at a 4% rate of return, great. My industry runs it at seven or eight and gives people this feeling like, you know, oh my God, this is, you know, this is something that, that, that I don't have to worry about because I'm making seven or 8% a year. So they definitely tell people and unfortunately show people not a real realistic rate of return. And, and that's why it's hard for yep. us because someone's in yep. their ear telling them I can get you eight. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, getting your name out there as much, you know, being able, like even Benzinga, our guy, our reporters having you comment on something, even though it may not be the, like, just coming with that expertise or that history of, hey, I, in 2008, yeah, people said, because, like, you, basically, this, this has all been trends, right? I mean, not trends, but re repeats, like, yeah. uh, dot com, then crypto, and then this, then that, and then you, uh, you AI, and all this stuff, and it just... And you could come with that reason that helps get get your name out there for sure. Because um, at the end of the day, it's creating trust. And you know what else doesn't ha help you is when people who like a Bernie Madoff, who you're supposed to trust, and then he has these results. And then it's like, okay, should I let someone, you know, yeah. that is the, that's a challenge. But it seems like your average client, I mean, your tenure is probably a long time, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. It's a very long time, which is great. Yeah. I mean, and I think it's yeah. testament to what we do. And again, I can say just from them being educated and understanding everything, right? Because it is, it's important. And again, people just don't know. They don't know what this impact is on fees and inflation and, I mean, inflation, no, but taxes. And they don't understand it because it's never told them because this is money I'm supposed to keep, right? Is the house. Shh, don't talk about that stuff. Let's just focus on, look at this performance. And, and so, do you guys have good backend software, like show people like what their allocations are and all that? Yep, crap? yep, like, yep. So. And that's one of the great things about this industry. I mean, it really has changed and it's made things fancier and prettier and, and, and less expensive to use, right? I mean, you know, there's CRM softwares that people are spending gobs of money on and you don't have to. I mean, so that's one of the great things about technology for sure for my industry in particular. Yep. Yep. That, that is, uh, for sure. I mean, the software we use Salesforce still, but I'm like, okay, we got to move to HubSpot. It's cheaper. It's yeah. easier. And, um, these are, yeah, things. Well, I, I appreciate you coming on, uh, John Nowicki of LCM, uh, capital management. Is there any last things you said? We, we got, we got you explain how to, to manage money, make money. We got you to shed some tears. Um, I always like tears. I, we all have our different life stories. I, you know, started the, we all, you know, so I, I like it. And you're, and I read, you know, your bio, you are a family man. You lead with that. You have four kids, wife of 
I said 32 years, but I don't know if that's right, but maybe it's 32. I think it was. Yeah, 36? That, that, uh, 1998. So what is that? Uh, I don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> 25. Great years, love, if you're watching. Great years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Well, anyways, thank you for coming on the Raz Report. Um, you, get, you guys can Google John Nowicki, N-O-W-I-C-K-I, and look up LCM Capital Management. Been around since... 2000 and they've been through the ups downs and seen all markets and that's what you're looking for someone with longevity when you're doing this kind of uh you know when you're investing in someone that um, knows what they've been doing for many years so we appreciate you coming on yeah thanks for having me jason really appreciate it and, and keep up the good work what you guys are doing is awesome thank, thank you john